we have a treat for you. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Geology on the Rocks, your one-stop audio shop for all things rock and rocking out. Brief overview this evening's episode will include our normal intros and hellos, followed by a triple junction and the world-famous new news. Our main discussion this evening will dive deep into all things Devonian. Between the bars, our discussion will bring to you another mineral minute. And before signing off, we'll close things out with the new improved that freaking rocks. I almost got through it. Yes. <laughs> A huge thank you to all the listeners out there for allowing us to be played between your earballs each week. If you'd like to reach out to us, whether it be for episode ideas, needing questions to your answers, <laughs> or or just to tell us about all the times we're wrong, you can reach us at geologyotr at gmail.com, or you can find us on the old Instagram at geologyontherocks.com podcast hashtag your geology daddies so yeah it does look like if things are squared away over here mr brian bobo baggins so without (laughs) further ado to all of you over there i am your host james the geologist and i'm brian baggins and this is and this is geology (laughs) on the rocks rocks. (laughs) if you couldn't tell (laughs) we're not in front of each other (laughs) yeah well hey man hey uh sorry i couldn't be there today was wild man um, i'll tell but, you yeah how was your week how was it was good i so last week we were supposed to do this but i got sick and yeah. i didn't have a voice so that was kind of my week i i don't know if i i think I, yeah i did tell you i applied for a new position i have an interview next monday for that so um, awesome yeah did a lot of that and then continued that petrographic study thing i was doing so oh, yeah um, so i saw on i saw on your personal instagrams uh yeah pictures under the microscope yeah it was fun it was this other geology just the part of the team was like, you know what? I'm going to send more samples and <laughs> see what he can do with that. And so I found out biotite and chlorite are now my minerals that are kind of like the the big players. Oh yeah. So we'll figure that out. Well, cause that's going to be on. the, is that where it's um, going through metamorphism and kind of altering? And metasomatism. It? Yeah. So it's like, you have to usually have to have some water, like yeah. hydrothermal and metamorphic at the same time. So huh? yeah. But that was my week. How was yours? Oh, well, it was, it's been okay. <laughs> so <laughs> summer two is about to start. So I've been building out my historical geology course on Blackboard. Mm. And then I guess on Friday, was it? <laughs> I was talking to someone. They're like, so have you gotten your uh, your canvas all set up? And I'm like, what are you talking about? We don't go to canvas into the fall. And <laughs> she's <laughs> like, no, we go on to canvas on summer two. <laughs> so oh I built out my course <laughs> on the wrong platform. So I I've been trying to figure out the ins and outs of, of canvas. So, <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, dude, it's been that's, like, that's gotta suck to change completely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, dude, I spent about three hours cause you know, I, for quizzes and stuff, I have like these test banks and then just getting them transferred over. Like I could, I uploaded them all, but it took me so long to figure it out how to, uh, I guess actually get the questions. Uh, it was a, I don't know. It really hurt my head, but I'm also doing yeah. like, coding too. So I'm dabbling in that too. So it's probably my own half, half of it's my own fault too. Cause I'm like, well, I'm just going to do like, 
like the HTML editor and kind of build it out on the back end, not just, you know, on the, I don't know. Yeah, you have way more patience than me. I, I could not do that. <laughs> but hey, I went to uh, Half Price Books again today and you know what I found? So you remember when we were in uh, paleontology or invertebrate paleontology, like the, the, yeah. like the index fossil thing that we would do in the labs and we'd, you know, that huge thick book. The more yeah. like, book. Yeah, I got you one. Found one. Yeah, I got one today. <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh my! Did they have an extra one? I don't think okay. so. I, think. I love those, like the drawings in there. Oh are yeah, incredible. That's what I want my next tattoo to be. But like the Ernst and Heichel, I think it's. I think I don't know Heichel, Ernst Heichel. Is like micro fossils. That's what I want my next okay. uh, tattoo to be on my. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, I'd have Get a whole bunch of radiolarians or something. Hell yeah, hell yeah. That'd be awesome. But hey, man. All right. Well, cheers yeah. to you. Cheers. Yeah, we are doing a yeah. yeah one of those. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I think this episode is jam packed. So if you're okay with it, I say we forego the our normal like new news segment and we're just gonna dive straight into the Devonian. What do you think? No, dude. I think that's a that sounds really good because. Ah, man, I don't know. Like, I guess we were talking a little bit before the show and it's like, man, I remember a lot of this stuff, but it's just, <laughs> I, 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 I feel like I did, I didn't up until this point, I didn't respect the Devonian enough. Like what was going on yeah. during that time? So yeah, let's I take it I don't think I respected my historical geology class <laughs> enough. Cause I did, I, I, when I took it, I didn't know I was going to be a geologist. Yeah, I thought right? I was just getting a science course out of the way. See, and, and then like I took, since I was a, like a non-traditional student, I don't know, you know, I took historical geology and physical geology at the same time <laughs> at UTA. Oh, wow. So it's basically, wow. it was like pretty much the same course is just like the historical went more into like the where the plates were but yeah i don't know yeah it's, it's a wild time though like the devonian so i'll just go ahead and start it so yeah. uh we're in we're in episode 34 hell yeah we um, are. and we're going to talk about the geologic period of it's called the devonian period and that is part of the late paleozoic era and it follows the silurian period precedes the carbon carboniferous <laughs> period so it bands between about 419.2 million and 358.9 million years ago yeah so that should give us a context like we're this is a long time ago this is yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's it's basically back to where the the start of you know where we really keep the history you know the geologic history but yeah the, the yeah. development of the earth systems during the early devonian to middle permian interval record the dynamic interplay of its geo hydro bio and atmospheric systems. so this is a a wild time in our in in good old earth so most of the the devonian period was a time of exceptionally high sea level stands and inferred widespread equable climates. What am I doing? <laughs> mm -hmm. But glaciations <laughs> occurred immediately before its end in the south polar areas of Gondwana. So Gondwana mm. being that supercontinent of South America, Central and South Africa. And then yeah. there, there is even evidence for contemporaneous mountain glaciers in tropical latitudes in the Appalachians of Eastern wow. North America. Yeah. Like dating like Devonian <laughs> glacial till or moraine. That's, <laughs> that's wild. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the early Devonian, really to the middle Permian, which that was like 260 million years ago, yeah. was an interval of major tectonic, climactic, oceanic, and biotic changes. So the collision of Laurasia and Gondwana, it led to a global scale tectonic activity in the formation of the supercontinent Pangaea. So that's like the spread of vascular land plants resulted in a huge increase in the organic carbon burial and that atmospheric 
CO2 drawdown. And then, yeah, the, so these events, they were the, I guess, really the main drivers of global climatic transition from a middle Paleozoic greenhouse to a late Paleozoic ice house. So we're seeing a, a, mm. a transition here. And then the, the, the late Paleozoic ice age or the LPIA, you know, we'll throw in acronyms all the time, right? So commenced with <laughs> yeah. a, a really a short-lived glaciation at the... Uh, Frasnian, Frasnian, Famininian <laughs> boundary. It's no. called the FFB. Yeah, dude, I can say them. Like, I think we always do this. I can say them in my head, and it looks normal. But yeah. saying them out loud. So the phrase Frasnian and Famininian boundary. And then the Devonian Carboniferous boundary, the DCB. That that those coincide with two first order mass extinctions. Though many minor bio crises also occurred during this interval that we will go into further detail later. Yeah, most of the present-day continental areas and shelves, they were grouped into one hemisphere. That's a wild thing about it. And they created this giant proto-Pacific or Pantalassa ocean. <laughs> That's another weird word, but the margins of that ocean were poorly preserved in, in the Alachthonist terrain. Yeah, and then the Alachthonist just means, if for those that don't know, it's sediment or rock mm. or that originated originated at a distance from its present position. And following, yeah. so really, and then following the tectonic events of the Caledonian orogeny of Laurasia, many old red sandstones, terrestrial deposits formed. So uh, I don't know if, if you're in geology, you know about the old red sandstones, but they formed then. And then after the closure of the narrow Raic Ocean early in the Devonian, the Eoveriscan tectonic movements affected <laughs> middle and late Devonian strata in the western proto-Tethys of Europe and North Africa. Yeah, other active fold belts existed in North America, like the early antler orogeny. Yeah. Polar Canada and the Appalachians, but also in the Urals along the southern margin of Siberia and in northwest China and then also in eastern Australia. Yeah, so I mean, it might help to if you <laughs> just pull up a map of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I know we're going to be talking about, uh, I guess, globally. But so really this idea, we can think of the Devonian as this time of greatest carbonate production with a peak of reef growth and of the greatest diversity of marine fauna in all of the Paleozoic time. So like we at the beginning, so the Cambrian, Ordovician, yeah. Silurian, Devonian, um, the Carboniferous with the Mississippian, Pennsylvanian and uh, mm -hmm. uh, Permian. This is going to be, yeah, yeah <laughs> well, everything went by. Bye-bye. But this is where the yeah. greatest carbonate, so a lot of the limestones of that time and then uh, the diversity really went off. And then really forest became established near the end of the Middle Devonian. So aquatic tetrapods mm. also appeared early in the Middle Devonian and it diversified in the Upper Devonian. Yeah, the Devonian system, it was established by Sedwick and Merchinson in 1839 and it was recognized through like they're then uh, or the unpublished work of Lonsdale that, you know, marine rocks in Southern England were the equivalent right. of terrestrial old red sandstone deposits in Wales in the North of England. And then also in Scotland. So this is an early recognition of that like lateral phase change. Yeah. Yeah. And then Murchison's definition of the boundary between the Silurian systems and the old red sandstone in Wales and the Welsh borders has some ambiguities that we'll see, but general opinion is that the, the Ludlow bone bed was very, close to the intersection? I, well, so I think it's important to note that other boundaries 
were used during the next century. And the result from that was that there was no clear definition of the boundary and what may be called the tight area and no consistent practice among those British geologists. Yeah, exactly. So which did absolutely nothing and was of little use at the time for, say, <laughs> international correlations. So <laughs> yeah, it's very yeah. localized at this point. So yeah, it, so it wasn't really until they like some detailed work on the British graptolites, yeah. which are really cool fossils, uh, by Ells and Wood from 1901 to 1918. And they recognized that graptolites were last present in the upper Ludlow, below that Ludlow bone bed. Okay, yeah. They were able to use the extinction of these graptolites as a way to identify a line in the sand, if you will, and this line was considered to be the major guide to the position at the base of the Devonian like elsewhere in the world. Right, right, and I think it shows like, and then, uh, you know, as we do science, you know, as we all know, <laughs> the more closely that we study strata from different parts, the more we see that things really didn't line up during this time. And then it, it really wasn't until 1960 that it became clear from evidence outside of the British Isles that megaplanktonic graptolites continued long after the time equivalent of those Ludlow bone beds. So Yeah, yeah, the last monograptolites occur in an important transgressive black shale to so that like <laughs> yeah, stuff. that's one of my favorite words or phrases. But so that's near the base of the Emsian, which is named as an atopus event. So after a long period of global intensive research, it was decided to define the base of the Devonian by evolutionary changes within the monograptids in Bohemia. Yeah. Um, and so the new definition raised the Silurian Devonian boundary to beneath the Samus. Yeah, it's limestone. A, it, it, it's in Wales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we're so I think that's where the uh, the idea is that we're going to use actually micro or I guess these fossils as the distinction rather than I guess faces, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then Sedgwick and Murchison in 1840 placed the top of the Devonian at a fairly unambiguous boundary in North Devon, but faunal and floral studies were they were not they were not then precise enough for accurate correlation. So as a result, stratigraphic mm -hmm levels were taking that were subsequently demonstrated to be inaccurate and the other names were used for strata where there was some uncertainty of assignment so in the really to the in the the latter category were names such as the kinder hookian in north america and the etrungd and strunian <laughs> in continental europe <laughs> wow yeah there's gonna be a lot of weird words that we can't yeah pronounce, so <laughs> <laughs> this is why i haven't paid attention to the devotee as much i can't pronounce anything but <laughs> good so, luck with these yeah, words <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> Following a, a proposal by Pickle. <laughs> Pickle. Nickelman and Shinville at the Second Ireland Carboniferous <laughs> Congress in 1935. The Devonian Carboniferous boundary became the first formally decided chronostratigraphic level and was fixed by a type section in Obrera Ringhausen Railway Cut, and that's in the Northern Rhenish Massif in Germany. Good job. I, Gosh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, was, right. that was as messy as a Massif. Yeah. They're just like a freaking, yeah. Anyway. A mess. But yeah, yeah. so however, subsequent uh, research showed that the latter contains an unconformity right at the chosen boundary, which resulted in the long search by an international working group for a new stratotype section. So finally, a new basal carboniferous GSSP, or if you're hip to that, it is the global boundary stratotype section and point. 
And this mm-hmm. was fixed at La Serre in southern Francois. Francois, Francois. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So recommendations for the GSSPs for all boundaries of systems, series, stage divisions for the Devonian were completed by the Subcommission on Devonian Stratigraphy or the SDS. And then they're ratified by the International Union of Geologic Sciences in 1996, which is not no, that uh, long ago. No, Years, oh, right? Yeah. No, 30? Yeah. No, 30. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. But still, no. like, that's no wait. <laughs> Quick, quite. that's 20. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah, okay. No, like 25. It's, 25. <laughs> it's like we, we don't function after 10 <laughs> o'clock, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then the following year, summary accounts of all decisions, they were published in two special volumes. Yeah. And since some of the <laughs> stages are relatively long, and since there are some important first and second and even third order global extinctions and sedimentary perturbations, giving natural breaks within stages, the SDS started to work on formal substage definitions. Right. So the Devonians now recognize and divided into lower, middle, and upper, like basically every geologic yeah. period. <laughs> but um, but when you're writing so, about it, you have to capitalize the L, the lower, do. middle, and upper. So just so you know, and that is a like they have questions like that on the PG. Oh, really? Because like yeah. uh, like um, what is it? Late and early, they don't get capitalized right. right? But yeah. lower, middle, it's, and upper are actual the series names. It's so weird. Yeah. yeah, the people that like had to like hound that in and be like, oh no, you must do this. Like, I'm like, dude, you wasted so many people's time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but so the lower Devonian, though, it's divided into the Lacovian, Lacovian, yeah, yeah. Lacovian. I think that's good. Fragian, Emsian, uh, those are all stages. And the middle Devonian are into the Isolian and Give, Give it, Give. Yeah, you're Gavishan. Oh, that might be it. Yeah. Gavishan stages. And then the upper Devonian into the Franzian and Femininian <laughs> <That's stages. such> a, <laughs> the, the Feminian. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah. So with yeah. that, I guess then on to the little Devonian stratigraphy we go, my friend. Yeah. So these are refined zonations in pelagic facies using especially conodont, uh aminoids, entomazoids, ostracods. Yeah. And for the lower Devonian, monographed graphoids, as we mentioned before. So yeah. the original aim was to establish globally applicable standard zones. And it's become more evident in recent years that it's equally important to work out variably less or more detailed regional zonations. Mm-hmm. Um, they may make use of endemic taxa and can be combined in a complex global correlation schemes. Yeah. So the, the SDS, they've devoted special attention to the correlation of chronostratigraphic levels across species boundaries from tropical areas up toward higher lat- latitudes. Yeah, and then one such way that we can do that is with through biozonations based on different mm-hmm. faunal groups, and they can be combined with physical strat- stratigraphy levels in holostratigraphic charts for the, the DC boundary. So the, the architarch, is that a, the <laughs> acritarch? I don't know. <laughs> Acra, ar- Acra Tark. Sounds like I'm yeah. saying something like I shouldn't be saying. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the Acra Tark zonation is less detailed than the, the really the conodont in the aminoid scales, but of high importance in shelf siliciclastics. So for neuritic facies, brachiopods, trilobites, and ostracods of the Ifelian ecotype are regionally important, but really the, the faunas tend to have many endemic characteristics. I ran yeah. out of breath. 
I know. Chidonozoa, uh, they occur in both the pelagic and neurotic facies and in both tropical and boreal climates. And then in the terrestrial facies, myospores, my- macro plants, and various fish groups are stratigraphically useful. Yeah. Then in the near shore facies, myospores, they provide an important tool for the correlation with open marine zonations. Yeah. So if you go back to the all the shores, are you sure? <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. For sure. Surely. So Surely. Then, then I say let's let's I guess dive deep a little bit more into the biozonations and start with the radiolarian zonations. So these are the the ones yeah. that use the, the what the silicates to build out their, yeah. their shells and test. Yeah. So the radiolarian. So cool. Yeah. No, they really are. The we were just talking about it at the beginning, getting my yeah. uh, the, the Ernst Haeckel. Anyway, so the yeah. radiolaria can be abundant in the Devonian outer shelf to ocean silicious sediments. So silicious being you know the the SiO two. And then their zonation yeah. developed gradually in the last two decades of the 20th century. Yeah, well, radiolarian zones for the lower and middle Devonian in Japan, there are unfortunately not well correlated with chronostratigraphy or other biostratigraphic scales. So in general, there's been some focus on the upper Devonian in that area. So for example, three zones in the Frasnian representing roughly the three substages and then a lower Feminian. Uh, and I'm going to try the Femininian. Nope, that's not it. Okay. I don't know. Feminian? Uh, but it, that's it. Feminian. Feminian. We were adding an extra. I know, but it's like reading a Yeah. I stutter. Well, so the Feminian, Tetratactinia, Barasphiria, Teratoikis, Gum. Man, so. Man, these are. <laughs> but what? yeah, so many new faunas from the Urals and other Russian regions. So, especially, they're especially useful for correlations um, are joint radiolarian conodont assemblages. So, for example, at the, the Frasnian and Feminian boundary. Another biozonation we can use as paleo evidence is plant megafossil zonation during the Devonian. So, vascular plants which began well before the Devonian, they rise in dominance during this period. Among the oldest currently known tree-sized forests is the cladislad oxalopsid <laughs> forest. I think that's it. Yeah, you did uh, good. From, from the Isolian of Lindler, Germany, these plants are subsequently found across Euro-America, and they're also in the upper Gavician of, of New York State. Like we said at the beginning, so we can think of the Devonian as a period of major atmospheric, climatic, and environmental changes, many of which can be linked to the spread of vascular land plants and to incipient assembly of the supercontinent Pangaea. Atmospheric CO2 levels, they declined. They were greater than 10 PAL, which is present atmospheric levels, to about 1 PAL. So falling to near pre-industrial modern levels of around 280 parts per million for the first time in Earth's history by the early Carboniferous. Modeling estimates of CO2 decline have been independently confirmed by soil carbonate, carbonite isotopes and land plant to model densities. The long-term CO2 decline during the Devonian was due largely to enhanced burial of marine organic matter and then the weathering-related consumption of atmospheric carbon dioxide with enhanced burial of terrestrial organic carbon in the in coal swamps. That became more important during the Carboniferous. And then really weathering in upland areas also contributed more to CO2 consumption than in lowland areas. And it was the combination of widespread orogenic activity and colonization of upland areas by aborescent vegetation may have been integral to the steep decline of the atmospheric CO2 leading to the LPIA. A 
concurrent and causally interrelated rise in atmospheric O2 occurred during the Devonian with an especially rapid increase during the Feminian to early Carboniferous. This rise has now been documented by multiple proxies, including molybdenum isotope, carbonate iodine to calcium ratios with further support from modeling studies. Rising atmospheric O2 led to more frequent wildfires. They're indicated by sedimentary charcoal records and then to a progressive increase in average marine animal sizes. So I think that's pretty cool that they're they're that seeing is. this by the, they're seeing it drought and you could see the wildfires and the, you know, just the, the charred bits of yeah. it as in charcoal. <laughs> but the, uh, yeah. the, yeah, so the archaeo, archaeo, archaeopteris forests have attracted much interest as a speculative driver of Devonian change. So the, the first Archaeoptelardelian progymnosperms, pro, pro God, like, so I'm, I'm wanting to yeah. emphasize emphasis, the, the wrong parts. So the first Archaeoptelardelian progymnosperms appear in the earliest Gavitian as evidenced by their microspore, the, the G. Lamrata, with the, the fossils becoming increasingly abundant in the Gavitian of Euramerica and forming mixed forest with the Cladiolopsid Watsia in New York State. I apologize. The, the Watsia. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Another forest type scene is that the tree sized lycopod proto lepidodendrop. It's from the Paleo-Equatorial Devonian. It's known in situ from the Gavitian and the Lower Francian of Svalbard. But it grew in dense thickets. Yeah, I thought I thought last week was going to be bad. Like you know, all right, you know the uh, all the the hominids, but good we did Lord, pretty well with that. I feel like. Yeah, but I feel like we've heard those more than some of these. Uh, the Anyways, yeah, so seed yeah. plants only really became increasingly abundant during the later parts of the Devonian and are largely of the Elkinsia type. However, there is no real understanding of their abundance or how they might respond to or still less drive the series of mass extinctions that occurred through this entire interval. Mm. All right, yeah. So we'll talk a little bit just real quickly about vertebrate zonation. Okay. So the Devonian, it's marked by the origin and early evolution of tetrapods. So that's vertebrates with limbs and digits. They're only a very broad stratigraphic use due to the rarity of specimens and relative isolations of most of the genera. Yeah. Tetrapod trackways have been recently discovered in the Ipelian of Poland, while the earliest body fossils are known from Francian of Latvia, Scotland, and China. Yeah, and then also during the Devonian, these vertebrates are in many ways fish-like and aquatic, and fully terrestrial tetrapods are not known before the earliest Carboniferous. In terrestrial facies, fish are helpful in really in this age determination. Several zonations of developed using various fish groups and teeth and other microvertebrate remains. Major zonations include that over the Tholiodont yeah. and Heterostrecan and for Placoderm and Acanthidian uh, ac- <laughs> What was that? <laughs> <laughs> and are of importance for a difficult problem of marine to non-marine correlation. Yeah, so we can easily see that the, really that the Devonian is a time of complexity, not with just... <laughs> geologists stumbling over the words, but just <laughs> overall, just it's kind of like this uh, modge podge of just a lot of stuff going. Yeah. On. Yeah. Why don't we talk about some events on a global scale? Okay, let's do it. Do it. Do it. Yeah. Do it. So, so like you said, the, the Devonian global events are complex, but also numerous, and they include extinctions of variable magnitude, two 
two mass extinctions in the Francian Dominion and near the Devonian Carboniferous boundary. Most of these events are staged and characterized by rapid eustatic changes. Yeah, and then uh, for those that don't know, eustatic change just being when the sea level changes due to an alteration in the volume of water in the oceans or alternatively a change in the shape of an ocean basin and hence a change in the amount of water that the sea can hold. So. Right. Also events include pulses of eutrophication in black shale formation, isotopic excursions or other geochemical anomalies and then opportunistic blooms, southern migrations and radiation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's 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 yeah. really uh, you name it, the, the Devonian can do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So equally sure, interesting yeah. is the, the rapid global climate change in association with major pulses of volcanism and tectonicism is widely assumed primary trigger mechanism. So the really the control or the role of the cosmic impacts is ambiguous. So there are really these regional special volumes or compilations for the events secessions of the in Belgium, the Appalachian Basin, the Great Basin of Western North America, Southern Morocco, the Polar Urals, Australia, Vietnam, and South China. There is an emphasized distinction between individual global events, so short-term to occur like within one biozone or at a biozone boundary, yeah. and crises, which would be like a polyphase, and that's stretching over two or several biozones consisting of a distinctive event succession. Yeah, and, and that's going to be important to note as we move forward. So as we see, most Devonian events or crises can be assigned to orders of magnitude from first the, the two mass extinctions with the loss of complete ecosystems to fourth order, which are sudden global extinctions of only a few but very widespread fossil groups. Some other events are defined by the fast radiation, sudden blooms, or the global spread of index fossils, or by rapid eustatic pulses. Third order clonk. Of- <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to name okay. our beach cleanup as the clonk yeah, event. For real. <laughs> clonk. Third order clonk. Third order clonk event at the base <laughs> of the Devonian is characterized by some faunal overturns of conodonts, graptolites, etc., and then a global significant carbon isotope spike. Yeah, so it, it can be correlated with the the Hungausen event of shallow water facies. So a neglected fourth order extinction and faunal overturn associated with regression occurred at the end of the lower Lakovian. So based on the first description in the Gary de la Sol area of the central Pyrenees, the, the term Gary, Jerry event, I don't know, Jerry event, uh, which ended black shale depositions in several regions and led to the final disappearance of the globally distributed megaplanktonic, the sycophocrinid, crinidids, the, was that the, the skypha, the skyphocrinidids? In a replacement of various icreoidids, I cryodids by rapidly radiating anserodeloid conodonts. Wasn't for these words, man. We'd be yeah. Wow, this is ridiculous. Uh, the event will be useful for future substage recognition. The sudden eustatic regression at the end of the Lakovian has been named the end Pesavis event, and it's the Lakovian Pragian boundary event. Yeah, and that event caused moderate extinctions. For example, I guess what they saw in the conodonts and an isotopic spike and local massive reworking of or unconformities in nearshore settings. So with, within the, the Pragian, Pragian, there are no 
known global events in outer shell facies apart from the marked conodont radiations associated with the current basal MCN GSSSP levels. Important for correlation and the redefinition of the Devonian Carboniferous boundary is the distinction of a regressive prelude seen in the Drewer sandstone. It followed in the lower crisis interval by the main Hangenberg extinction at the base of the globally widespread anoxia and black shales. By the middle crisis interval defined by stage glaciogenic regression and by polyphase upper crisis interval, which embraces both the initial recovery of the Carboniferous type marine taxa during the rewarming and a new transgression, and then also the terrest- the main terrestrial extinction. Right, right, right. And in the frame of the ongoing Devonian Carboniferous boundary revision, new studies on the Hangenberg crisis continue to be published, and there are forthcoming special DC boundary volumes. So some studies have improved on the Conodont foraminifer correlations in the Moravia on the post crisis proliferation of the microbial carbonates on geochemical aspects of that DC boundary sequence stratigraphy on the Hangenberg black shell in Tibet on the geochemistry of middle crisis interval microbial laminites from Morova and on new data for sections in the northern Ural and on first record of the Hangenberg shale black shale with survivor <laughs> the Cymiclaminides in South China. Ooh. So the, the extinctions in the pelagic and neuritic realm, for example, on the Ardain shelf, might not have been as synchronous as once thought before. Whew. Man, I'm glad. Yeah. So, <laughs> Get out of that yeah. section. <laughs> I know. Yeah, let's talk a, a little bit about sequence stratigraphy. Okay. Hopefully this will not have as crazy <laughs> terminology or names. So sequence stratigraphy or eustatic changes also in a broad sense, sea level changes in the Devonian, they've been commented upon at least since the 19th century. Mm-hmm. Much later, a more systematic comparison between you know New York or America and, and Europe was established in 1983 in an initial attempt to create a Devonian eustatic curve. Yeah, and this was a improved using detailed conodon evidence from the Laurusian area leading to the sea level curve and the depot phase terminology, which which soon became a widely quoted standard that is still recycled in many publications that we see today. However, the, the Johnson et al. curve is not based on a sequence stratigraphic approach and concentrates on the correlation of times of fastest and maximum transgressions. Yeah, another problem geologists faced was the lack of precise definitions for some of the depot phases. Yeah. And so they're based on examples from different regions. They're now known not to correlate at all. That created some ambiguity, which which level should be used for refined definition. Yeah. And other examples are the middle upper Devonian sea level histories for central and western North America and in the Iowa basin, eastern North America, the, the Timon of northern Russia, the Urals and Australia and South China. Most recently, analysis of the low and middle Devonian sea level changes and sequence stratigraphy of Bohemia. Prominent and regular sea level oscillations in thick shallow water carbonate platforms and siliciclastics. Unfortunately, they mostly lack a precise age control. Uh, the clear identification of sequence boundaries and maximum flooding episodes combined with a biostratigraphic tune correlation of the diverse regional trends should, or they result in a revised eustatic curve with third and fourth order global sequence. So the, the Devonian period is sometimes what I'm sure we're all more familiar with is called the age of fishes because of the mm. d- diverse, abundant, and in some cases, bizarre types of these creatures that <laughs> swam in the seas of the 
time. The, yeah. We talked a little bit before the forest and the coiled shell, or I guess forest were another, you know, going on at the time. And then the coiled shell bearing marine organisms that, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of are ammonites. Yeah. So they're really going to, not really, they, they, they first appeared in the early Devonian. And then late in mm-hmm. the period, the first four-legged amphibians appeared, indicating the colonization of land by vertebrates. So the, the tiktok. Yeah, all hail tiktok. The Rhiney Church in Scotland, it's Devonian age deposit. It contains fossils of both the zoodarophils and trimerophytes. They're some of the earliest vascular plants. And that indicates prior to the start of the Devonian, the first major radiation of the plant had already happened. That's see, I think that's uh, interesting. The yeah, yeah, go and ahead. like no, <laughs> yeah, and it's that shift that you see, like in the the tetrapod, you still see the shift in plants as well. Yeah, and so the oldest known vascular plants, though, in the northern hemisphere, they're from the Devonian period. Yeah, and then the the vegetation of the early Devonian consisted primarily of just really small plants, and then the tallest being only of about a meter tall. Could you? I can't even imagine <laughs> just looking out and just like yeah. Yeah, the the tallest thing, you know, outside of um, uh, anything, anything yeah. living is just like a meter tall. But we can see with that radiation by the end of the Devonian. And ferns, the the horsetails and seed plants had also appeared, producing the first trees and then subsequent forests. Yeah. During the Devonian, two major animal groups colonized land. So the first tetrapods, we talked about land living vertebrates, they appeared during the Devonian, but also did the first terrestrial arthropods. So you have wingless insects, earliest arachnids in the oceans, brachiopods flourish, rhinoids, another echinoderm, tabulate, rugose corals. And then we mentioned ammonites, they were also really common. But yeah, fish, the amount of <laughs> yeah. variety of fish. And then, yeah, and then also during this time, like there were three major continental masses. So at the time, North America and Europe sat together near the equator with much of their current area being covered by shallow seas. And then to the north lay a portion of modern day Siberia and then a composite continent of South America, Africa, Antarctica, India, and Australia dominated the Southern Hemisphere. So That's just so crazy. Yeah, just yeah. three. There's just three. Wow. But then you had microcontinents like Baltica and all that, I think. But anyways. Okay, yeah. It's just crazy that like we were, like Siberia was just to the north of us. So we'll go on. You mentioned the Devonian Seas. Yeah. So I think that's where we'll take up the next section. And they're dominated by brachiopods. This is the spiriferid. I think I said that right. I don't know. Spiriferida. I think I I have one of those brachiopods. I found one. Are those the the, winged uh, ones? Yeah, that look really like wide and kind of like a mustache. So like, uh, what is it? uh, Because it's Pennsylvanian in age, the Mineral Wells Fossil Park. Yeah. 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 So I mean, like I found a couple of the the spiriferids out there, which is cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. And so, yeah, those were really common. So were the tabulate and rugose corals. And they were like the big root builders in the shallow water. You also had encrusting red algae that also contributed to that. In the lower Devonian, ammonoids appeared. We've mentioned that, leaving us large limestone deposits from their shells. Bivalves, crinoids, blastoid, echinoderms, graptolites, trap, trap. Trilobites <laughs> were all present, though most of the groups of the trilobites they disappeared by the close of the Devonian. Oh, poor! I wish those things were still I alive. I wish they were. Living. I do too. Man, those things are <laughs> so cool. Yeah. So and then so also keep in mind, like during this time, the Devonian is also notable for the rapid diversification of fish, which we talked. So there's the benthic, mm-hmm. jawless, armored fish. They're all common by the Lower Devonian, and then these early fish include a number of different groups. And then really by the the Middle Devonian, the the placoderms, the the first jawed fish appeared. 
And then many of these grew to large sizes and were fearsome predators. So of the greatest interest to us is the rise of the fast, the, the sarcoterygians, the, the low-finned yeah. fish, so which eventually produced the first tetrapods just before the end of the Devonian. Yeah. The four. The so four. You, four. Yeah. Well, the, the tetra, uh, right? That's four. Yeah. 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 You mentioned the armored fish. And so these fishies, they were armored to fight against things like sea scorpions or eurypterids. Yeah. These things are insane. And some of these sea monsters were up to seven feet long. Yeah, Lee. So, dude, I, I think when you say just like sea scorpions, that those terrify me. And then, uh, right? So, like, <laughs> yeah. so the sea scorpions, weren't they some kind of, uh, am I lying when I say like the Burgess Shale? Like, kind of like one of those like really, really old, like Cambrian? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know when. I know they went extinct in the Permian, but I don't remember what, when they first came around. I thought it, I thought it was like um, Silurian or Devonian, but I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. But those things are yeah. Ooh, ooh. They're <laughs> I mean, insane. Yeah. And but like yeah, the armored fish, dude. I, I don't. I was watching a YouTube video because I think we were going to do an episode over like the ABCs of prehistoric life. So I was just mm-hmm. like watching like all these YouTube videos, and one of these armored fish where it, it kind of was like a rotating wheel in its mouth. <laughs> it was fucking like this <laughs> yeah. weird. I don't know. Ugh. What the heck? Yeah, I'll send so you. I have to send a picture to you. It's yeah, ugh, it creeps yeah. me out. I got chill bumps thinking about this thing. <laughs> yeah. Like real life sea monsters. Okay, so we talked about the seas. Yep. We'll talk about the Devonian landscape now. So by the Devonian period, colonization of land was well underway. Before this time, there wasn't there was no organic accumulation in the soils. So the soils had this reddish color. That's indicative of underdeveloped landscape, and it was probably colonized only by bacterial and algal maps. Ah, interesting. Yeah, nice. So then Nasty. by the And then by the start of the Devonian, early terrestrial vegetation had begun to spread. So the plants did not have roots or leaves like most plants today. And many had no vascular tissue at all. So this really, right, it's going to limit. They needed to stay close to the water sources. So they they probably spread vegetatively rather than by spores or seeds and did not grow much more than a few centimeters tall. So really these plants included the now extinct, the zosterophiles. And the the trimerophytes. So their early fauna living among these plants were primarily arthropods, such as your mites, the the, the trigonotarbids, wingless insects, and the the myriapods. Through these early faunas are well not known. Are not well known. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> By the late Devonian lycophyte, xenophyte ferns, and progymnosperms, they'd all evolved. Most of the plants have true roots and leaves, and many were actually quite tall. The progymnosperm archaeopteris. Yeah, it was a large tree with with real wood. The uh, Archipteris was the oldest known tree fossil, really, until the identification of the that weird Watizia. You know that we talked yeah. about in the the New York earlier. But anyways, they found that in two thousand and seven. But by the end of the Devonian, the first seed plants had appeared. So the gymnosperms are now on the scene, and this rapid mm-hmm. appearance of so many plant groups and growth forms has been called the Devonian explosion. So I know you know we mostly hear of the Cambrian explosion, but this is really the Devonian yeah. explosion. It, you know, it's weird. Like, so we were talking about how, like, obviously Archaeopteris, like, was pretty tall. But before that, you had mentioned all plants were, like, just a few centimeters yeah. in height. But also, like, you don't have any angiosperms. So there were no flowers. Yeah. Like, that's so, that's kind of weird to think about, like, a world without flowers. Yeah, no, like, yeah, they weren't, they weren't, that's, yeah, that's weird, right? Yeah. 
So yeah. like whenever I take my dog on a walk, it's kind of, I don't know, they're doing a whole bunch of new builds, but it's kind of like all these mm. like weird plants that don't flower. I don't know. They're these <laughs> yeah. weird and then they grow quite large. And I always think I'm like, man, this is exactly what it would look like back in the day because they just, it doesn't look normal. Anyways. No, this is a weird thing to think about. I mean, I doubt the, the new tetrapods cared, but. You know, no, no, they're just like, we're out of the water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to now dive into Devonian tectonics and paleoclimates, which I think is pretty fascinating. Yes. So significant changes in the world's geography took place during this time period. And the world's land, it was collected in two supercontinents, Gondwana and Euro-America. And Euro-America was the result of Laurentia and Baltica colliding. Yeah. Uh, the vast land masses it lay relatively near each other in a single hemisphere. Then also a vast ocean covered the rest of the globe. Yes. Uh, so the supercontinents were surrounded on all sides by subduction zone. In that development of a subduction zone between Gondwana and Europe, Europe America, there was a major collision was set in motion that would bring them both together to in Pangaea in the Permian. And I know we're going back and forth, you know, a lot. You know, yeah. some of it's going to cross over and bleed over. So just right. for the people out there, be like, you already said that, but you know, we're giving it a different context now, just in case. Yeah. So, but in addition to global patterns of change, many important regional activities also occurred. So the continents of North America and Europe collided, resulting in massive granite mm -hmm. intrusions and the raising of the Appalachian Mountains of Eastern North America. So that I think that was the uh, uh, the Taconic, right? Is that? But anyway, yeah. so vigorous erosion of these newly uplifted mountains yielded great volumes of sediment, which were deposited in the vast lowlands and shallow seas nearby. Yeah, so in the shallow seas, extensive reef building occurred and produced some of the world's largest reef complexes. It proceeded as stromatophoroids and corals in increasing numbers. These were built in the equatorial seas between those continents. Large shallow seas in North America, Central Asia and Australia, they became basins. And so you have great quantities of rock salt, of halite, and then you have other salts like gypsum and then other evaporites or minerals precipitated. And then also, just as a frame of reference, like North America was straight up like on the paleo um, equator too. Like most of yeah. like they at <laughs> some, you know, portion, I think it was like rotating counterclockwise, but it was mainly at the equator during this time. So near the end of the Devonian, a mass extinction event occurred and then which brought in the way of glaciation and the lowering of the global sea levels may have triggered the crisis. So since the evidence suggests warm water marine species were most affected. So meteorite impacts have also been blamed for the mass extinction at this time or changes in atmospheric carbon dioxide. So uh, it, it's even conceivable that it was the evolution and the spread of forest and the first plants with complex root systems that may have altered the global climate to lead to these uh, extinction events. So whatever the cause, it was about this time that the first vertebrates moved onto the land as well. So And as species moved out of the sea onto land, let's help pay for our beach cleanup to prevent plastic from doing the reverse order and migrating from land to the sea. I say let's. So, and then yeah. also I say we do a little bit of mineral. We got to keep mineral minute regardless. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mineral minutes. Uh, mineral. 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 Mineral minutes. <laughs> Minerals. All right, this week's Mineral Minute is brought to you by the Palladium Copper Selenide Mineral Ooster Boschite. <laughs> <laughs> Ooster, Ooster Boschite has a chemical formula of P2. 
PDCU7SE5. Now, see, this one threw me off. Like the like what? It's a selenide, so it's weird. It just ends with an SE. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, selenium. Yeah, it, this just doesn't. This is the weirdest. Yeah, but yeah, instead, since Oosterboschite didn't really have anything, we're going to talk about the hydrated <laughs> potassium uranyl silicate hydroxide <laughs> boltwoodite. Boltwoodite chemical formula is A for Na, UO2, SiO3, OH, and 1.5 water. Wait, I did so weird. Yeah. 1.5 H2O. Boltwoodite can be pale yellow to orange yellow in color. Boltwoodite is translucent with a subvitreous waxy or silky luster. And this mineral has a hardness of 3.5 to 4 with a specific gravity of 4.7. Boltwoodite grows in rod-like <laughs> to particular to fibrous crystals, also earthly pseudomorphs of uranium minerals and radial groups. And some are wart-like aggregates of fibers, coating, fractures, and stands. What a gross, like, description. <laughs> wart-like <laughs> aggregates. <laughs> God, look at your boltwoodite. Yeah. Cool. So, boltwoodite, yeah. named after Bertram Borden <laughs> Boltwood from uh, 1870 to 1927, was a radiochemist at Yale University, New Haven, Connecticut, um, by Clifford Frondell and Yun Ito in 1956. Boltwoodite type locality is Pix mine, Pix delta mine, <laughs> delta mine, delta uranium mine, hidden under <laughs> delta San Rafael mining district, San Rafael swell. Emory County, Utah, USA. Wow. <laughs> so Boltwood has brittle tenacity and fractures irregularly and is uneven with perfect cleavage on the 010 plane and imperfect cleavage on the 001 plane. Boltwoodite is monoclinic in the synoidal crystal class. And Boltwoodite is biaxially negative with high surface relief and has weak pleochrism. Stay tuned for next week's mineral lichen proof. <laughs> Lichen proofite. The new mineral. So yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like this one, the lichen proofite, is going to be a lot like the Woodie Muthalite. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and, uh, and it's going to be the the season ending mineral. It mineral. is. Yeah. We're going to get back to the Devonian, but I'm, I'm excited about this one. We're Me going too. to dive Me too. Even, even deeper into the tectonics of the Devonian. So the late Devonian was, like we were talking about, there's a lot of collisions, but it is the development of a major collisional event, the Veriskin orogeny. It was like trench pulling or slab pull effect of the north dipping subduction, and it developed along the LaRussia margin, and it caused the creation of back arc reno Herkinian basin, as well as the transfer of tectonic elements. Yeah, and really the the, the tectonic elements included the, the Saxo-Thuringian, Southern Proto-Carpathian, and Balkan terrains. So the Antler and the Ellesmerian orogenies constituted major collisional events in North America. So the, the spreading of the Paleotethys Ocean constituted the main extensional event, and this spreading is associated with the movement of tectonic elements towards La Russia, Siberia, and northern Kazakhstan. In addition, a branch of the Paleotethys Ocean was opened between South China and Gondwana during the late Devonian times. The spreading was displayed along the Proto-Andean margin of western Gondwana. It's thought to have opened 
the newly proposed Chilean Ocean. The development of major rift systems took place throughout La Russia and Siberia. Late Devonian rifting, it was associated with volcanic activity, especially in the Beloy Rift in Siberia. So I, I added this one little part. So out there, just to break it up. So have you ever wondered like really how they build paleo maps and reconstruct the past locations of continents? I, I think like, yeah. why don't we help explain the process just a, a wee bit to give it some context before we, because I think sure. this, the, we're going to get really into the, the paleo geography here in a little bit. Yeah. So paleo maps, they're constructed using computers and software. So yeah. certain software, it'll utilize the Euler theorem and it states that a movement of, tec- of a tectonic element during a given time interval on a sphere can be described as a rotation around a fixed axis crossing the center of the sphere. Uh-huh. The Euler pole coordinates, the angle and time of the rotation are described in the rotation files. So these files, they contain a list of finite rotations between the pairs of tectonic elements at different times. And brief notes and comments for each individual rotation are included in these files. And each row of simple text files contains necessary information that's going to do the calculations. A a sample segment taken from a rotational file describing the motions of the major paleocontinents with column labels added for clarity. So uh, that's kind of like the the blah, blah, blah. But the rotation information is derived mainly from paleomagnetic measurements as well as from Mm -hmm. structural studies in regional paleogeographic papers. So paleo altitude positions of a tectonic element at certain times are really going to be derived from these measurements utilized by computer software. And then the software can interpolate the values and animate the movement of tectonic elements. And then the position of the continents, if you will, and other tectonic elements is not always conclusive. And different maps can be really constructed using the the same paleo altitude. So you're going to get some variations too. Keep in mind. Yeah. Tectonic elements paleo-longitudinal position during the late Paleozoic to Cenozoic times, they can be deciphered using hotspot tracks. Yeah. For the Devonian, they would use hotspots related to the breakup of Pangaea on late Devonian paleogeography. They do fit well, and they form swarms within major supercontinents on La Russia and Siberia, and their locations fit also the distribution of volcanic activity. This is what excites me about all of it. <laughs> so further adjustments of major continents and other tectonic elements would require a detailed study of hotspot tracks, like you mentioned in the Devonian Carboniferous times. And then the, the location of paleo oceans can be deciphered using ophiolites. So deep water sediments are also related to ancient oceans, while granitic intrusions are related to collisional zones. So the, the construction of maps involve the application of data and ideas contained in global and regional paleogeographic papers, as well as in the unpublished reports as well. The computer software, it can then produce the so-called base maps, and these maps contain coastlines and sutures. Minor tectonic elements and plate tectonic features, they can be added on base maps by various illustrator programs. Basic plate tectonic features usually include subduction zones, rifts in oceanic spreading centers, and transform faults. Kind of like what we did at, uh, at Field Camp, building like all yeah. those. Yeah, so the, the facies can be assembled according to various rules. So the, the first step involved generating colored filled polygons encompass, encompassing environments. And then, right, so then the patterns indicating different lithologies or facies are mapped on the color filled environmental polygons. And then a final product might include both paleolithology and paleo environments for the given time interval. For example, uh, a light blue polygon with a brick pattern that'll indicate limestones deposited in a shallow sea environment. There is some data plotted as points. Mm -hmm. Data include extensional or hotspot volcanoes, subduction-related volcanoes, reefs, and organic rich shales qualifiers 
can also be used to indicate some rocks, especially climate-sensitive sediments. So these qualifiers depict bauxite, laterite holes, vaporite, flish, uh, iron-rich deposits, glauconite-rich deposits, marls, oolites, phosphates, red beds, silica-rich deposits, chillites, and volcanic. And these maps are used in attempts to integrate paleogeographic distributions of paleocontinents and other tectonic elements with structural studies, paleovolcanism, paleosedimentation, paleolithophases in order to aid investigation of processes and reconstruction of prospective hydrocarbon basins. And this is, I did a little bit of this with my, with my thesis research. So I reconstructed the plate movements with respect to Western Australia from um, uh, Pangaea breaking up. So, but we aren't here to talk about me or my thesis. We're here to talk about the Devonian. Yeah, the Devonian. Well, let's start a little bit in the Devonian convergence tectonics. Okay. So well, the Briskin erogeny. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, they are. So the Briskin erogeny in Europe, it commenced during the late Devonian times. The Russia supercontinent was assembled during the Caledonian orogeny. And this supercontinent included Laurentia, the majority of present-day North America, as well as Northern Europe. This is north dipping subduction. It rimmed the southern margin of this continent and it created the Rhino Reno Ursinian <laughs> backyard basin and the trench pulling effects was related to a transfer of, of tectonic elements from Gondwana to Russia. These tectonic elements belong to the Kadomia, also named the Armorica uh, terrain assemblage. Perhaps they, they were detached from Gondwana during Silurian times, but the existence, timing, and nature of the detachment remains quite speculative. And then the, the timing of the north dipping subduction rimming the southern margin of Laurasia is a matter of controversy today. So, According to some research, it, it ceased to exist during the early Devonian and to others it was active during the middle Devonian along the southern margin of Russia. It existed only along eastern part during late Devonian. Subduction was active during the late Devonian along the entire southern margin of Russia. Right. And then the, the Kadomia group includes the northern France, Saxo, Thuringia, and Telpa Barandian terrains in eastern Germany, northwestern Czech Republic, and adjacent Poland. So the, the name the Saxo Thuringian was introduced by Cosmot in 1927 as a tectonic zone in Central Europe, together with the Reno Hercynian and the Maldanubian zones. So according to French, Frank et al. in 2017, the Thuringia Franconia equivalence of the Saxo-Thuringian uh, terrain represents a separate tectonic elements located between one branch of the Raic Ocean and the Saxo-Thuringian Ocean, so opened during the, the, the Devonian times. I love good scientific disagreement. Don't we all? So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I bring it up because another geologist, Croner, in 2007 and later in another paper in 2013 argued against the existence of the Saxo Thuringian Ocean. Oh, no. While, yeah. Well, Stefan and his group in 2019, they placed the Galatian superterrain between the remnant of Reik and the newly opened Paleotepes Ocean. This superterrain included the Saxo Thuringian zone and others correlated the Saxo Thuringia with Vos. Vosages, uh, <laughs> no idea how to say that. Uh, the Northern American Massif and the Austin Morena zones, including these tectonic elements into the Northern Gondwana margin zones. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. You, you, you provide one way and I'll provide another way. But I think yeah. equally are valid too. Compared, yeah. you know, when we talked about the mapping too. It's so like their, their interpretations of it. So yeah. I get it. Uh, geologic map is always an interpretation. 
location. Um, the, the remnant re-ocean, especially in the western part, it still existed during the late Devonian and it closed gradually with the movements of Maguma, Aqua Morena, Candomia, Saxo-Thuringia, Tepla, Ferrandian, <laughs> as well as the southern Proto-Carpathian and Balkan terrain. I feel like we're saying like a lot of these like house uh, Targaryen of yeah. Game of Thrones. <laughs> I know. The Brandian. <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, so the, the Alpine terrains were possibly located south of the, the Kadomia group and the Saxo-Thuringian, the Maldanubian and the Tepla-Burandian zones belong to the Bohemian Massive, present day Czech Republic and adjacent parts of Austria and Germany. So the, 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 the Saxo-Thuringian part of the Kadomia group collided with a small southern Reno-Persinian terrains. That sounds like Harry Potter like name. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so former the mid-German crystalline zone, so the MGCZ. And this zone, known from Germany, Czech Republic, Poland, southwest of England, and Portugal, contains fragments of the Salernian Devonian island arc, probably underplated during the collision of the Upper Devonian. So there's been gabbros dated to around like 360 million years ago, along with carboniferous magmatic rocks. Yeah, the, the first lower Franznian south-derived greywack turbidite in this zone, they're related to the development of the Briskin orogeny. The Reno-Hersinian basin changed its character from the extensional to a compressional one. Collisional events also occurred in the west, in Western Europe and adjacent part of Africa as well as the Balkans and Carpathians. Ah, Tolkien's interpretation of Middle Earth and the right angles hey, in his, in his yeah. map. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the central... Carpathian terrains correlated with the Alpine terrains as well as with the Bruno Vistulicum <laughs> and other fragments of Bohemian Massive, while Ophiolite or they correlate with the Reno Hercinian basin in the Rheic Ocean. The 406 to 399 million years ago, that age of the South Carpathian Balkan Ophiolite is comparable with the 400 million year age of the Sudetic. Feel like. That's cool. That's cool. And then the yeah. the onset of the Variscan metamorphism occurred at roughly around 372 million years ago, plus or minus 12 million. Take <laughs> that's so weird. They're just yeah. like, oh, I was throwing 12 million years. But I know it's yeah. a little bit more precise than that. I'm not sure. I'm not dismissing yeah. that, but <laughs> 12 million years. That's okay. So, anyways, in the central Carpathian, so the, the sin collisional magmatism around 370 to 340 million years ago produced multi-stage granite and this magmatism was caused by the subduction or the, the slab-melting mafic magma influx and extensional decompression. So belts of magmatism and related metamorphism often cut across the structural trend of the origin. And east of the Carpathians, the collision of the Moesia and Laurussia is documented by the Upper Devonian accretionary complex in the North Debrogia in Romania. Another, that definitely sounds like something in Game of Thrones. So another transfer of tectonic elements from Gondwana to Russia, it probably happened west of Kondomia. The Maguma Plate, it approached the Russian margin during the late Devonian. It caused deformation of the northern Appalachians in Canada and northeast U.S. And it is described as the Devonian up to about 360 million years ago. It was called the Neo-Acadian orogeny. Then in western U.S., so western LaRussia at the time, 
the, the Roberts Mountains were thrust over the LaRussian Craton in Nevada during the Antler Orogeny. This orogeny is documented mainly in Nevada and California, but it's actually also recognized in British Columbia, the Yukon Territory, and in Alaska. So during the late Devonian to early Carboniferous time, the deposits of the Antler Basin were deformed and thrust to the east, possibly as a result of the collision of the eastward advancing island arc with the western margin of LaRussia. The Ellis Marion orogeny, it was the main collisional event in northern LaRussia, and the name was derived from Ellesmere Island in Arctic Canada. In the Ellis Marion deformation, it's related to docking of a continental terrain. Just, I can't period. keep like docking. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's so weird. Like the, it's just like this thing. It's like, all right, come on, come on in. <laughs> I'm thinking more uh, of like the, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Um, so this, it's the period terrain. It derived from the northernmost Ellesmere Island. It moves moving southwestwards. It was during the Devonian times leading to the climax of the Ellesmerian orogeny in latest Devonian to earliest Carboniferous. And then the Ellesmerian related deformation was also noted in Svalbard. So the east <laughs> Svalbard and west Svalbard became united. No, so yeah, the, the Svalbard <laughs> yeah. and west Svalbard, they became united during the Svalbardian orogeny. And then the, the west dipping subduction of the Ural Ocean existed along the eastern margins of LaRussia. And then the collision of this continent and arc occurred in the Urals in the Devonian time. The Magnetogorsk, <laughs> Magnetogorsk Island Arc is accreted to LaRussia during the middle to late Devonian times. And the position of Siberia is depicted as upside down so that the present day western margin was at the southeastern margin during the late Devonian. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so... It drifted towards North Kazakhstan, towards that terrain, rotating clockwise. And the northward, northwest dipping subduction was related to this movement. Part of Kazakhstan was accreted during late Devonian times and was rotating clockwise. The remaining parts of Kazakhstan were located between the Paleo-Tethys Ocean and remnants of the Paleo-Asian Ocean, moving together with the Jungar terrain, which is in northwestern China. Just think of like North America is really like upside down at this point. <laughs> Kind of. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but several tectonic elements were moving northwards, driven by the southeast dipping subduction. So, the, the remnant of the Paleo Asian Ocean, located north and northeast of Central Asia, tectonic elements, is also known as the Turkestan Ocean. And then the, the Tarum terrain, northwestern China, was located east of this Yungar, South Kazakhstan. And then the structure of the, the Tian Shan Mountains and the magmatism in the northern Tarum indicate south dipping subduction and then the the south dipping subduction under the north china margin is documented by the andor sum group subduction accretion complex located south of the late paleozoic salonkur suture between north china and amuria that's a mouthful amuria um, yeah all the mithril in <laughs> i know the western part of the paleo asian ocean it was consumed under the moving Scythian Turin terrains that collided with Eastern Europe and adjacent Asia during the Carboniferous times. It's possible that subduction documented by the presence of late Devonian magmatic art in Western Yunnan was developed along the South China Chinese margin. So Eastern Australia was also affected by a series of orogenies. The Tabarabarin event. That sounds Australian. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The Tabarabarin. Of the, 
of the Lachlan orogeny and associated magnetism affected the trans-Antarctic mountains of Antarctica, Tasmania, and southeastern Australia. Then, uh, and if a lot of that sounds like foreign to you, I know if you're an American geologist, we usually just focus on like the antler orogeny and the Taconic. Is that during the time? Anyways, anyways, <laughs> it's not important, but you know, we're, we usually just focus on those two, but that those are uh, compressional. So that's, you know, the, the compressional forces with the subduction. But now let's talk about a different type of stress, like the tensional, or we can think of it as the extensional regimes during this time. And there and there's some debate to the ocean basin timings here. So uh, we'll show, explore this a little bit. And then the, so the, the spreading in the Paleotethys ocean constituted the main extensional event during the late Devonian times. And then the, the timing of the first phase opening is still somewhat speculative and subject for discussion. And the, the, the Paleotethys ocean originated during the Ordovician and Silurian times. So the, some studies have concluded that the Paleotethys opened between Gondwana and Chinese tectonic elements during the latest Devonian early Carboniferous times but plotted on paleo maps a large ocean with given paleotethis name between these two areas of Gondwana and Kazakhstan. Some argue that the paleotethis opening occurred in the middle of the late Devonian and distinguished several branches of this ocean. So a large one existing in the middle Devonian, second one opening between South China and Tarim during the late Devonian, and then the last one opening between South China and Gondwana during the latest Devonian early Carboniferous times. It was possibly quite narrow between the Gondwana North American and European tectonic elements, but wider between the Gondwana Scythian Turin and Jungar South Kazakhstan terrains and narrow between Gondwana and Tarim North China. Other studies displayed a relatively narrow paleotethis between Gondwana and all Chinese plates on the Devonian Carboniferous boundary map and do not use the name paleotethis at all, but maps suggest a late Devonian opening of this ocean. But regardless <clears> of what I or, you know, you know, what side of the coin that you um, subscribe to, we can see that definitely that the Paleotethis Ocean opening is certainly consecutive to the Caledonian orogeny in Europe and movement of the Galatian terrain. So as such, the early Devonian timing is quite possible. And then the ocean is quite wide in its central part and narrow in the eastern and western part of the maps of the time. Yeah, and we, so we also mentioned the movement of that uh, Guma super train uh -huh. earlier. It would approach the Russian margin. The western branch of the Paleotethes is located between Western Africa and Maguma. Maguma super train includes Maguma, Moroccan, Meseta, and then the Betic Rift. Kabil and Osa Morena Tectonica. And some research argues that the subduction extended from the present day Caspian Sea to Mexico along the margin of La Russia. So the westernmost part of the Paleotethys Ocean could also reach Mexico in a similar way to the Mesozoic Neotethys Ocean. The Maldanubian zone, originally in the southern part of the Bohemian Massive, probably extended westwards to Vosges and Central Massif in France and to the Galicia Tresos Montes zone in Spain. <laughs> and, and it, it represented uh, a possibly oceanic realm at the time. So the, the Galicia Maldanubian Ocean connecting eastern and western parts of this Paleotethes Ocean. Another branch that was opened between South China and Gondwana, basically at the Devonian Carboniferous boundary, the Lowy Ocean, which it originated during Devonian times, it was located between Indochina, North China, and Sundaland. Sundaland, it includes Indonesia and then the adjacent 
tactic element. So it was located next to Australia with Oceanic Remnant also present in the Song Ma zone in Indochina. And this spreading was plotted along ancient South American or Proto-Andean western margin of Gondwana. And the spreading opened a new oceanic basin and the name Chilean Ocean is proposed for this basin. And the, the subduction really here is which followed the earlier collision between the Chilenia terrain and Gondwana rifted away several terrains. These exotic trains, they're including the Chungak and Alexander, they drifted across the Pantalassa Ocean and it reached North America in Jurassic time. So it took a long uh, detour <laughs> to get up there. But um, yeah. To say the least. So it, yeah. Following the opening of the Chilean Ocean, the Proto Andean margin remained passive until the late Carboniferous, and that's when new subduction developed. And so that where like the Pangean Ring of Fire. Okay, yeah. nice, nice. Yeah. And then the, the 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 Siberian continent and adjacent terrains were affected by rifting during the Devonian times. So now we're going to see Siberia drifted off of the Verkhoyansk super terrain that was included in Kolyama, the Okhotsk, and the Chersky tectonic elements. <laughs> Sounds Russian. And then the, the drift was caused by the clockwise rotation of Siberia and its movement towards northern Kazakhstan. The, the Valui Rift was perpendicular to the ocean basin named the Alazea South Anui Angayokham Ocean. And this ocean was opened between Siberia and Verkhoyansk so that these two rift systems formed a triple junction. Mm. So strong volcanic activity that occurred within the Valoi Rift and on passive margins of the Olate L. <laughs> Alizea South NUI NU <laughs> Oh shit. Oh my god. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> so Rifting also affected the Little Russia supercontinent. And rifting took place in the Volga Ural and Nipper Donuts. <laughs> <laughs> yes, region. Uh, our areas in the eastern Europe part of Baltica. In the doming uplift, it was associated with this rifting interplate magmatic activity. It was widespread. It led to formation of volcanics and Kimberley. Rifting could have occurred in the Paracaspian Basin, belonging possibly to the Backart system and that developed along the southern margin of La Russia and was linked to the Reno Hercinian Basin in Central and Western Europe. Can I just say like, so for all the episodes that we weren't very thorough with our geology, boom. Yeah. Yeah. For <laughs> and real. this is so thorough of the Devonian. It's not even like people are probably just like <laughs> listening, being like, what the F are these guys talking about? <laughs> yeah. We're just, we're giving you all, I told you we're going to dive I deep mean, into the Devonian. We did. Or we are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're still going to. Yeah. <laughs> I was just, just give it a little bit of a, a room to breathe and people give, catch their breath. So crustal separation followed initial rifting in this area. So yeah, rift systems also developed in the northern La Russia in the present day, the Timan and Barents Sea area during the middle to late Devonian times. And volcanic activity was associated with this rifting and research provides evidence for late Devonian vertical movements and extensional depth formation in Gondwana. So this is, again, that northern Africa and Arabia portions. And then rifts develop along the former Caledonian suture between Norway and Greenland and in the present-day North Sea area. And then the, the, the resulting grobbins in this 
area could have been connected with the Barent Sea, and then the basement that underlain the Barent Sea represents possibly the Devonian Oceanic Crust, indicating spreading in connection with the Alizea South Anyui Angjiongjum Ocean. <laughs> That was way better than what I, I uh, <laughs> No, man. It's it's so, yeah. 11 o'clock, 1130 <laughs> p.m. Right. We usually start at 7 oh, or 6. I know. Yeah. So since tectonics that affects sedimentation and paleolithophases, let's talk a little bit about this. Um, <laughs> Might as well. Yeah. Paleomap of this time, they depict an environment during the during the high sea level before the regression above the Franzian and Feminian boundary, which we should just call the FF boundary. Yeah, the FF boundary. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I like it. This regression, it's related to cooling and increasing of glaciers or to the opening of the oceanic basins. And there's vast areas of land covered by shallow epicontinental with carbonate deposits. Yeah, and then the, the climate was warm and it was seen as gradually cooling towards Devonian Carboniferous Boundary, that, that extinction event. And then the temperature reached 30 degrees Celsius at the end of the Fresnian and slightly decreased during the Feminian, uh, the at FFB. <laughs> and then the, yeah. the vast area of the con continents was covered by shallow epi epicontinental seas with carbonate deposits. I feel like you just said that. <laughs> and then the carbonate <laughs> deposit deposition system prevailed in the southern part of LaRussia into the FF boundary type localities yeah. in Belgium and then the Rhinish Massive as well as in the Holy Cross Mountains in Poland. Hmm. Organic rich shales and marls also accompany the carbonate sediments and they're associated with the Kelwasser anoxic event. At the same time, the synorogenic deposition prevailed in the rhino hercinian zone as well as the Alpine and Carpathian areas. In their respective basins, they filled with turbidetic lish and calm facies represented mainly by sandstone, shales, and marls, sometimes with cherts and deep water carbonates. Synorogenic classic sedimentation during the FF is restricted to the alochthon. Yeah, and then can we just, the synorogenic, like that, That I feel like that's a yeah. that's a fancy word. It really is. And then it's also, because like I think of like syn deposition in your sedimentary basins where it's like you're getting that deformation with sedimentation. So, you know, the, the layers are thicker than, but um, the synorogenic applies to a process or event like the recrystallization of metamorphic rock or the emplacement of mm. plutons, which occurs at the same time as the deformation. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Like would I, I think back to granites and granites kind of like the oh yeah like yeah. Uh, reeds kind of like how he thinks that they got there is probably more sin orogenic. Right? Yeah, that makes sense. To me. Okay, so then and then the odd autocon what auto auto autocon autocon. Fly starts in the late Asbian <laughs> and the uh, <laughs> consists of a huge passive margin shelf receding northwards, partly capped by reef carbonates in the late Gavishian and Frasnian carbonate and the terrigenous shelf rocks with reefs and bituminous ferrous clays prevailed in the eastern part of LaRussia. And then in the western part of LaRussia, wide transgression developed and the seas covered a large part of that craton. Carbonate with reefs and sometimes with a bit of right dominated in the western U.S. and adjacent Canada 
after the demise of the Gabetian Francine reefs, carbonates are essentially restricted to hemipelagic nodular limestones. Sandstones and argillaceous rocks were common in the western U.S. as well as the Peri-Appalachian zone. Black organic rich shales, they're sometimes with layers of chert. They're also present deep water cherts called nebaculite, which is like there's the Arkansas nebaculite. They're deposited in the Ouachita Basin in Oklahoma and Arkansas. Getting into some more familiar terms in geology. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then right. the, the the carbonate and evaporite sediments dominated in the Siberian basins, back out of it, and then into the <laughs> Verhong Young super terrain. Oh <laughs> and then the 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 terrigenous sandstones of the Feminian evaporite complexes containing gypsum and salt were deposited in the Vilui trough, where wide eruptions of basalts also occurred. So a large carbonate platform existed in South China also at this time, and then these thick bedded limestones with corals, brachiopods, stromatoporids, bryozoans, tentaculites, and conodonts were deposited, reaching its thickness of over 1,400 meters. That's, that's pretty massive. Yeah, that's <laughs> ridiculous. Like 1,400 meters. Oh my God. So these carbonate buildups existed close to the organic rich rocks deposited during the late Devonian times of anoxia. Massive limestones crop out in numerous places. They were subject of karst phenomena. Uh, their, their current extended to the territory of Vietnam. They form a really beautiful landscape, among other places in the Ha Long Bay area. Shallow marine, sandy, argillaceous rocks were deposited in greater India in the marginal basin of the Himalayas and southern Tibet. See, it makes sense now, like with the, uh, with just this context that we've been talking about with, because I know when we talked about the karst systems, when we did the speleology special, yeah. we were talking about how Vietnam had, the, I don't think it was oh, like, yeah. like the, uh, what was it the dick pot? What <laughs> those weird ones? <laughs> yeah. Anyways, but anyways, yeah. The in Vietnam they have some really cool cars, like the just like the the remnants of it. Anyways, yeah. So subsidence and transgression occurred in Australia at the time, and then oh, that's my basin. Aha! See the oh, Carnarvon. Yeah. That's where I. That's where I did my uh, my research of the underexplored basin. So cool. And I've done. This really is. Yeah. Yeah, and I've done uh, um, research in the Amadeus and Bonaparte Basin. Woo! So, anyways, I'll say yeah. that. It, yeah. So subsidence and transgression <laughs> occurred in Australia in the Carnarvon, Canning, Amadeus, and Bonaparte uh, basins, where thick one to one point three kilometer carbonate terrigenous deposits were accumulated. So large shallow marine basins existed in northern and northwestern Africa as well. And then reef limestones were also formed in northern Africa. I mean, I, yeah, I'm trying cool. to think if I could think of the, off the top of my head, the, nope, I can't. I, I, I <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> the, the, the sequence of rocks that it was, I'm like, I don't know. That's cool though. Um, we don't like run into that very often in our episodes where you like have that knowledge, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I can't so, decide off the top of my head, but I, I, I cede my time to you. <clears throat> no, you're good. The late Devonian, it's characterized by regression in South America. Silicoclastic deposits, they dominated in the Amazon and Maranao basins, as well as in the Peri-Andean zone. The presence of tillite and diamictite, evidence of glaciation in South America. Yeah, and we didn't even get into <clears throat> the, the glaciations of oh, uh, time. Yeah. But I say, lastly, to wrap things up, I say, let's talk about a few of the extinction events. 
Yeah. Okay. okay. And then, so the extinction of uh, biotas, biotas during the late Devonian times at the FFB was influenced by plate tectonic evolution and associated phenomena. Uh, the extensive volcanism related to the rifting within major continents and oceanic spreading represents the main process that has influenced the extinction event at that FFB. Plotted volcanism, it took place mainly during the FF times, but sometimes the volcanics belong to early and mid-Devonian, or even been described as Devonian early Carboniferous. Some of these ages are controversial and subject to revision using modern dating techniques, especially in the area between Norway and Greenland, but most of them are, are well-dated. Yeah. And then the most prominent volcanic event related to continental rifting occurred in Siberia. And there are two mm -hmm. age clusters that uh, they're referred to as, and it's roughly about 364.4 plus or minus 1.7 and 376.7 plus or minus 1.7 million years ago. So the breakup of Siberia led to the formation of a triple junction that we talked about earlier opening up a new ocean. So the, the Vilyuyalogogin, Alogogin, as well as enormous <laughs> volcanic activity referred to as the large igneous province, the LIP. Mm. So the newly yeah. opened Alizea South Anui Anagjikram Ocean was linked <laughs> with rifting in the Kara Sea, uh, Barents Sea, and along the former Caledonian suture between Norway and Greenland. And then another LIP formed in northern Russia, and the volcanic activity also took place between Norway and Greenland and in Scotland and adjacent areas. In the Siberia, La Russia breakup, it can be associated with mantle plume activity. And they fit quite well with the distribution of volcanics with like a, within a 10% error. Yeah. Perfect fit would require a slight shift of the continents westward. Yeah. And yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's all amazing. But another major rifting yeah. event was with associated volcanism took place in the eastern part of La Russia. This rifting was caused by subduction along the Laurasia border, as well as the Cameroon and Jebel Mara plumes activity and volcanics are abundant in the Nipper Dunex Rift, Voronezh Uplift, and the Urals. The opening and spreading of the Paleotethes Ocean is related to the volcanism along the margins of this ocean in northern China, Indochina, South China, <laughs> a lot of places. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but like, but it, like, it even goes into like Iran, Turkey, Spain, France, Morocco. Yeah. With the Paleotethes Ocean spreading and volcanism, they're probably related to mantle plume activities of Tristan, Comoros, and Reunion Hotspot. And then the, the, the northward drift of the Galatian tectonics element was accompanied by subduction, intensive volcanism, and volcanism also took place on the margin of the Reno, Hercynian, and Chilean oceans. Intensive volcanism occurred along the southern margin, or present-day position of Siberia and in the Altai Cyan area. The northern margin of the Russia, as well as its margin of the Australian margin of Gondwana were also affected by this volcanism. Intraplate volcanism, it's also related to mantle plume activity, like the Afar hotspot. It occurred in the Paleo-Asian Ocean. Intensive volcanic activity produced an enormous amount of ashes in all areas where volcanoes were active, especially in Siberia. And these ashes, they caused a, sh a short-term volcanic winter and supplied nutrients to oceans and seas that increased anoxia. Ash also supplied micro-elements like mercury to the Devonian environment. The extreme mercury enrichments around the that boundary beds are documented from 
paleogeographically distant successions in Russia, Germany, and Morocco. Okay, so now they're using that uh, that correlation. Nice. And then all mm-hmm. these, yeah, all the processes triggered the large-scale extinction. So possible causes like the Devonian killer tree hypothesis that's supposed to be primary cause of the Kelwasser event through the volcanic activity controlled, in fact, the distribution of land plats by generating transient warm human conditions. So the, the new dates from the Siberian Vilioid traps and other volcanic centers strengthen this theory. The incipient Veriskin orogeny enclosure of the oceanic basins caused uplift in regression, leading to an increased continental weathering and increased amounts of present nutrients in oxia and glaciation. The closure of seaways caused major significant climate changes and disturbing living conditions of many species. The other possible causes like sea level change, glaciation, they're certainly linked to plate tectonics. So plate tectonic activity caused the paleogeographic and paleoclimatic changes, which contributed to the mass extinction. Yes. So the next time you find yourself saying, man, the Devonian was really boring and all you had were just these weird fish, let us remind you (laughs) that this was a time of just sheer craziness. And we are by no means experts of the Devonian. As you can see, like, I feel like all these words, like we've butchered, like you have people that spend their their whole careers studying just like that one thing. And then, you know what I'm saying? So basically there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) the the Devonian and all its glory. Oh oh my goodness. Wow. (laughs) This might have been the most detailed one we've done. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I do feel like it was very, I I don't know if it was more thorough in our, I guess, putting together the episode. It may have been, you know, sometimes the, the wording, I understand what's going on, but it's just like the getting, I guess, lost in the weeds of the words a little bit. Yeah. So, but yeah, man, that was, that was, I think as a geologist, and you know i enjoy reading about all this stuff but yeah yeah. (laughs) so hopefully you you know i think it's good because it definitely shows like you do have to think about what the continents looked like then what where where they were so the devonians are really good one yeah no you also have to think of like too like you have all these microcontinents that are just like smashing into each other and you know we're we're seeing the and especially in north america we're seeing the buildup of at least the the west coast and we're seeing you know deposition i guess in the middle due to the erosion of the the appalachian mountains and then we're not even we didn't we haven't even gotten to the i guess in you know, I guess when we get further in geologic time is kind of when you get that, the, the Washita uh, mobile belt, which really is that collision between Laurasia or Laurentia and Gondwana, right? That make up Pangea. Yeah. And, but that happens later. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at the time, so, but it's all these interactions with the plates and that volcanism, you know, can spark, um, uh, mass die-offs and closing of oceans. Yeah. So that was fun. Well, uh, Sir, we should do it again one last time for season three. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll make it that one out of the ordinary. We'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. So I guess until next time, we will remind you to be cool. Stay tuned. And keep it. On the rock. On the rocks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And that gave me such tired head saying all those words. (laughs) Yeah. But did you... See the at the end of the last episode where I put all the the supercuts together. Um, um I, I can't. Feminine, feminine. No idea. Feminine. You literally read anything. Tectonism. 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 Trap. Trap.
trilobite, biobow, feminine, or or orogen, this orogen, lepidodon, chelania. Nope, that's not it. Carbonic NUI NU Oh my god. Uh Autoconfun what in the auto auto to get to get it. Vosages, vosages, the, 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 of the, of the, of the map. Every, every. <laughs> no, I don't, I, I, I don't know. 